Hey friends, welcome to Motherhood in Hollywood, episode 158. This week, we're talking about money. That's right. The holidays are coming. Do you know how much you're going to spend? Do you know how much you will have when the holidays are over? (laughs) It's never enough, no matter how much it is, but we are going to talk about money today. I have an awesome expert on the show who is going to give us some helpful tips. So here we go. Come on, mama. Grab your popcorn and goobers. It's time for Motherhood in Hollywood with your host, Heather Brooker. This is a crude prude's perspective on being a full-time mom in showbiz. She's not a perfect mom, but she can play one on TV. Hold on to your butts. Here's Heather. Hey, you guys. I hope you're having a wonderful week so far. It's been busy, but, but like in a good way around here. We had a lovely Thanksgiving, and I, there's no shame in this, but I decided not to cook this year. We went out to dinner, or lunch, I should say. We let somebody else do the cooking, and then we went to Universal Studios and just spent the day riding rides, drinking butterbeer in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, and just had a lovely day. Very low pressure, very chill, and um, yeah, I think I might prefer that. <laughs> You know, it's hard because I, a lot of people, um, for them, the holidays is all about family coming in from out of town and, you know, getting together and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, we have such a small family. It's literally just me and Chris and Channing. And then my mom is in Oklahoma and his parents are in Oklahoma. But, you know, it, it's hard for them to get out here. And even if they did, like, it would still just be such a small affair. So I don't know. My... I'm torn because my I feel like my perspective on the holidays is changing and it's in this kind of weird area where I'm like I want to make memories for Channing. I want it to all be so special and I want her to have the you know the Christmas experience, but every year I end up in the kitchen cooking a big turkey, lots of sides, um having a big meal and then Channing will just pick at it a little bit and Chris and I overeat and you know I mean maybe I guess that's what the holidays are all about and that's what they should be but I feel like if we can have a similar kind of experience and have less stress and less work uh why not just do that I mean I don't know there was a lot of other families out to eat so I assume I'm not the only one who does it but we certainly had uh, a good time and I was happy with my choice our choice to do that. We may, we're actually thinking about doing that again for Christmas. (laughs) We may just go out to eat and let somebody else do the cooking. Anyway, well, I hope whatever you guys did and however you celebrated Thanksgiving, it was lovely. We actually then uh, went out of town this weekend. We went south of San Diego, almost to the border of Mexico and California to this place called Hotel Del Coronado and had a lovely relaxing couple of days there by the beach they have this ice skating rink that they set up there it's called skating by the sea and it's literally steps away from the ocean and I was like how is that even possible like is it does it get cold enough for the ice is it so hot I don't know I I wanted to see it and check it out so we went down there and it's beautiful. It's literally right on the beach, this gorgeous ice skating rink. So you're skating by these palm trees and you could see the ocean in the distance. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm wearing a scarf and hat and I'm on ice skates. 
I, Channing, I have to say, Channing was a total rock star. Like she was so excited about about skating around the little rink, and you know she was so she was nervous at first, but once she got out there and she was like, "Oh, this is like roller skating," man, she just like took off. And I was, you know, so proud of her. She's she's so fearless, and I really really hope she never loses that. I mean, obviously, a little bit of fear is healthy. Like I don't want her jumping off buildings or, you know, like doing crazy daredevil stuff. But <clears throat> I love this sort of try anything, do anything kind of a an attitude that she has. As I get older, I feel like there's a lot of things I want to try and do, but my body is like, no, 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 you cannot do that. <laughs> you cannot, you cannot do that anymore, lady. Your time has passed. Um, <laughs> but that's okay. I will still try. I'm still willing to try some things anyway. So we had a lovely time. We had a lovely weekend down there at Del Coronado. And you guys, <clears throat> people could not wait to message me and tell me that the hotel was haunted. And I'm terrified of ghosts. I think that if it, even the idea of something like that gets in my head, I am freaked out. So I could not sleep very well in the hotel because everyone's like, oh, you know, it's haunted, right? There's a ghost and people know her name and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, first of all, this is a large hotel. There's a lot of people here. I highly doubt she's going to single out my room just to haunt us. Um, so everyone calm down with the ghost stories, okay? Don't need it. Don't want it. Don't want to hear it. I prefer not to have it in my mind or thoughts at all. Uh, um, but that's just me. I don't know if you guys are into ghosts or not, but not not me. So we had a lovely weekend, a nice little uh, trip away, and now we're back to the grind. And... One of the things that we tried very, very carefully not to do this weekend was overspend. We, however, did not make a budget. We did not set a limit to what we were going to spend. And we did overspend. We spent too much money on eating out and some drinks and whatnot. We are terrible at coming up with a budget. And which is bad because my husband works in finance. <clears throat> so that's kind of embarrassing. But we're so bad at it. We never take the time to really, truly sit down and figure out our finances. Like, we'll talk about it from time to time. Like, hey, do we have money to do this or can we do that? And, um, but there's no, it, there's no real actionable plan in place. So therefore, money is something we talk about a lot and we worry about a lot. And I'm so, I'm so excited to share this episode with you because it's something a little bit different than what I normally do on Motherhood in Hollywood. I figured with the holidays coming up, everybody's going to be spending money. Um, there's probably going to be lots of conversations around your home about money. So I have a financial expert on. His name is Jeff Motsky. He is the president and CEO of Trilogy Financial that's here in the Los Angeles area. Um, I think it's actually <clears throat> closer to the beach. <laughs> we joked about that a little bit. It's in Huntington Beach. And um, he has written a book. It's called The Couple excuse me, the couple's guide to financial compatibility. And it talks about how we as couples can get on the same page financially, because one of the biggest points of contention in relationships, one of the biggest arguments people have, and then one of the biggest driving factors towards divorce is money. And if you have a good plan in place before you get married, and even after you're already married, you can still try to get on the same page with your finances. 
um, it could certainly make life a lot easier. And Jeff has some wonderful insights into that. And uh, I'm going to let him explain how we can do that. And he's also going to talk about finances for our kids, um, planning for their future, planning, paying for college. Lord, I'm, I'm stressing about paying for college already. Um, but anyway, I'm not going to talk anymore about it. I want to get to the interview with Jeff. I really think you guys are going to love it. This is Jeff Mosky. He is the president and CEO of Trilogy Financial, Financial and has written a book called The Couple's Guide to Financial Compatibility. Here's Jeff. It is all about money today and finances on motherhood in Hollywood. My guest is Jeff Motsky. He is the owner of Trilogy Financial in Southern California and also an author of The Couple's Guide to Financial Compatibility. Hi, Jeff. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for being on the show today. I, um, sure. I'm excited because like I said, uh, just a moment ago, we have a lot to talk about. Um, money is the root of all evil. No, <laughs> it is, it is a blessing and a curse. And I want to dive right in. Um, let's talk about, first of all, uh, your book, the couple's guide to financial compatibility, because money is something I think a lot of couples, um, argue over the most. And I, you know, I'm basing that on absolutely no research that I've done. I'm just guessing that that's a, a big issue that a lot of couples fight over. So um, is that true? Is that something you found as well? Your guess is correct. Uh, people fight about money often, and it usually starts early on in relationships, uh, even before people get married. But yes, it is right up there with politics and sex as far as arguing. And why is that? Because we just never have enough of it. <laughs> Not sex, well, but like of money. Of yeah, money. <laughs> I, I always say people say they never have enough and money is a finite uh, part of somebody's plan in life. You you know what the dollars are, but we live in a society and a lot of times in a culture where we want to overspend or, or go beyond our means mm -hmm. as well as not communicate with our partner about what's going on. And all those things lead to real, real trouble down the road if you don't start having those conversations because they're hard to talk about and you know stats will be overwhelming that if you're arguing about money even once a month uh, your chances of uh, your relationship succeeding are poor but if you get up to like once a week and even daily um, you're destined for uh, divorce court wow oh my gosh that's pretty intense I, I had no idea um, I actually have a lot of friends who have um, separate bank accounts from their spouse. Some of them have secret bank accounts that their spouse don't know about, but for some reason I know about. Um, that feels really like a, um, a dangerous path to start off in. Like A lot of them, I think, feel like they're doing the right thing. They're being smart by keeping a separate bank account, but I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, a separate account, if it's not disclosed to me, is financial infidelity. In other words, they are really hiding something. And what's ironic is they tell you about it, Heather, but they won't tell their loved one about it. But mm -hmm. it, it's a scenario where if you're hiding money and hiding accounts, then you start hiding purchases. Um, and all those things lead to a lack of any kind of plan. And I think what we talk about, what I talk about in the book a lot, is that you have to have a plan. And I don't care where you start with the plan, but you have to start with saying, how much money do we take into the household? 
and, and it's transparent. And then where are our expenses? And then you can really have an intelligent conversation, a, a good financial conversation about where you will be able to help each other succeed financially. Because hiding money um, is an absolute no-no. Having separate accounts really is challenging. And that happens a lot, Heather, in, I guess, uh, second marriages. Because they're usually a lot of times, mm -hmm. why did somebody get a divorce, they got burned by their first marriage. So therefore, and money was a part of it mm -hmm. and money was ugly all the way through. So therefore they, they hide it in the, in the second marriage or have it or, or want separate accounts. And I feel like though that that, and, and maybe just my own opinion, maybe I'm being judgy, but that kind of sets it up immediately for problems with money. Because if you're already starting your marriage together with two separate accounts and then one maybe like mutual account or maybe one person is the one that pays all the bills so that one spouse will give them the money for the bills. Like that already sets up some power structures and some awkward situations. And, you know, I, that's not something I have ever done, so I can't really experience uh, speak to that. But have you found that to be the case as well? Heather, it's great insight in that it does set you up for power struggles. In other words, who controls the money, who controls paying the bills might um, start doing other things in the relationship. Uh, I mentioned sex earlier, but that's what I mean, other things can happen. Yeah, because you're not on the same page. The other part that once you get past the what I'll call the day to day stuff, which is having a cash flow and a, and a budget, it's, it's critical to a plan. But once you get past that, then you get into things like how you're going to invest your money. And if one person doesn't know how the other person's investing their money, or maybe they don't even know if they are investing money for their future, then you're setting yourself up for shorter and intermediate and longer term failure. Because how do you know if your spouse is even putting money away for something as important as retirement, or if you've got kids, college, and you can't agree on those basic things, um, you're really going to have a lot of, a lot of, intense financial discussions that probably are not going to go well. So my husband and I have been married for um, almost 20 years, so about 18 years, and we've been together over 20. And when we first got together, um, he was already, even though we were very young, was in a lot of debt. And I didn't have any debt. I was, my mom was very um, vigilant about making sure that I didn't purchase things I couldn't afford and didn't accumulate debt, but I also didn't really have any credit either. I was terrified to get a credit card. So I didn't have any debt. I didn't have a credit card, but my husband had quite a bit. And now our roles have sort of reversed over time in that he's really vigilant about wanting to make a budget. He's a finance guy. Like that's what he does. He keeps track of the numbers and every week he's like, we're overspending. We're not going to make it to the end of the week. And I'm just like, Ooh, shoes. Um, so it's, it, our roles have, have flipped a little bit. It's not something we argue about. It's just certainly a, a struggle every week to try to figure out how we're going to live within our means. Um, what are some signs that people are in any kind, any kind of practical tools that people can apply to, to start doing that and living by their budget? Well, one, really practical tool that we recommend to all of our clients is I call it a financial date night and you do it once a month, I think is the best time to do this. And it's not about arguing over credit cards or the budget or spending. It's bigger picture type of uh, thinking about how you see each other growing together in your relationship, 
in all aspects, why not look at it from a financial aspect of it too? And that's a perfect time to do a check-in, for example, hey, you know what? Looking over our numbers here, hey, we're, we're not going to make it. Um, our spending in this area has gone through the roof and really having a discussion over, you know, I would say a, a nice bottle of wine and dinner or it could be a cup of coffee and dessert, um, but somewhere out of the home where you can really have a, a heart-to-heart discussion about where you are in your finances. And I have found in using these with my clients, these are some of the best conversations they've ever had about their finances. And a lot of times they turn around and say, you know what, this is something that we want to talk to Jeff about, or we want to talk to our advisor about um, how do we how do we do something differently? But first step is just open dialogue, open communication. And what I find interesting was that you said early on you were afraid of debt. Sometimes there is that total role reversal in relationships with individuals and in that if you grew up in a household that had no debt and you never had any debt and you never were able to spend any money either, you get to where you start making money or you want to start spending money. And then if you're one that grew up in a household where debt was just always there and there was just chaos with finances, you say to yourself, I don't want to be that way the rest of my life. And you almost flip flop. So it's not unusual what, what the two of you are going through. Yeah, he, um, we definitely have flip flopped and we're both kind of reflections on the, on how, like you said, like how we grew up in our households, that's for sure. And he always wants to talk to me about finances, like right as we're going to bed. And I'm like, you stop it. I cannot go to bed talking about how broke we are. <laughs> like we cannot do that. Cause I'll be up all night going, Oh my gosh, how are we going to pay our bills? Yes. Um, and we're getting, we're definitely getting better about that. We, we don't have a, a finance date night yet, but that's a really good idea. Especially because one thing that we talk a lot about is saving for retirement. We are um, at a certain age now where we're both in our 40s. And I feel like we're going to blink and we're going to be 65 and have no money for retirement. That's something he worries about quite a bit. Um, And it's how much should we be saving? Like, you know, I've always heard that we should have like millions of dollars saved and we're not going to have that. Yeah, I, we use a simple rule of thumb, and this is just a basic rule. Pay yourself first. Mm-hmm. We work to get our clients to 15% of their income going into financial independence. Oh, so in other words, putting away 15% that will allow you to get to at some point, work becomes an option. And work becomes an option um, the day that you don't have to go to work more the day you choose to go to work. Um, but that, that's just the starting point. Then you got to figure out where are we going to put those dollars to work that are going to better our family financial household. And that gets down to what our investments look like. What does the risk tolerance look like? What All those things all come as part of the plan. And once you take the time to do that and you review it annually or, or, or sooner than that with your advisor, you're going to start to see, wow, we can really do this. Or wow, we're still a little bit behind, but if we just bumped up and took a little more out of our paycheck into our retirement plan at work or took a little more out and put it into our supplemental retirement plan, financial independence is, is can happen. But you said something early on, which is so true, is that you're in your 40s and the next thing you know, you're in your 50s. And then you're five years away from when you want to retire and you're and you're looking and saying, we got no chance at being able to do this. We're going to have to continue to work. Mm-hmm. I don't want Americans to be stuck in that scenario. Yeah. I think that um, 
we are going to be struggling for quite a while um, to get to that 15%. My husband is always talking about saving a little bit more and, and you know he'll be happy to know that he's right uh in, in that we should keep upping the percentage that we're we're putting in every um every month every year uh to our uh, 401k and our retirement plan the the frustration that i have and the problem that i have is being in los angeles i am essentially a freelancer for all of my jobs i'm an actor i'm a reporter um, you know, my podcasting and motherhood in Hollywood is, you know, a freelance business, you know, it's hard for me to save up or think in terms of from, you know, check to check how I can save for retirement. So what do we do? We're in, you know, one of the most expensive places to live uh, in the country. And how do we in the gig economy uh, with these freelance jobs, how do we save? And you are one of thousands upon thousands in that area, but really across the country, more and more people are moving into this gig economy. And what do I do? Um, a couple of things is when you get those, and a lot of times they come in the form of 1099 or, or, or checks that way, you just start to pay yourself first out of that. And maybe you can't start at 15, maybe it's five, but you plug it away and you plug it away into tax advantage plans where reality is if you're, if you're saving 5%, Depending on your tax bracket, you're really only losing maybe two to three percent of take-home pay because the rest is going in taxes, um, especially in California. California is a highly taxed state as well, so you start to put that money away, and, and it's kind of like an out of sight, out of mind type of mentality, and you just plug it away with every single check. Um, but it really ties back to what we talked about in the very opening, Heather, and that is the budget and the cash flow side of things. Seventy percent of American households don't operate off a budget. And the other 30% that do, a lot of them, it's a little bit looser than they would like it to be and they'd like to tighten it up. But the first step is to figure out what's the money coming in, what are our critical expenses, what do we have to pay? You know, health insurance, uh, our transportation, our, our house, uh, our living, whatever the, the critical child expenses. And then what are the lifestyle ones? And when you really take some time when it's not a heat of the moment, when it's not right before you go to bed, when you take some time, you can then say, you know what, are those lifestyle expenses more important than, for example, putting our son or daughter through college? Or are those lifetime expenses more important than being able to have a retirement date somewhere in the 60s or 50s? Um, and then, then it starts to say, well, I'm going to start maybe shifting some of that lifestyle costs into this other this other bucket now you brought up kids which i'm glad you did because um that is something that we certainly talk about a lot one of my biggest concerns is i don't want my daughter to have to have the crippling debt that it experts are estimating she'll be facing when she goes to college and we're both my husband and i are both very you know middle income you know, we're a middle-income family. We don't have millions of dollars coming in every month to be able to set aside huge chunks for her college. So I'm afraid that I don't want her to be saddled with debt for college. So we opened up our savings account. You know, we contribute to it, you know, as much as we can. But at some point, it, it just sort of feels like we've got money going to 401k, money going to our bills, money going to her college fund. And it feels like all of it is insurmountable. Like when are, we're never going to have enough money. 
Yeah, and college planning is incredibly, it's gotten incredibly expensive, the mm -hmm. cost to go to college the last decade. Um, just remember this, hardly anybody pays what I call sticker price for tuition. Um, there's merit scholarships for pretty much anybody coming in in various places. And I talk about this in my book a lot about college planning for kids because I'm I'm on the board of trustees of my old university. So I'm, I'm very intimately involved in like what costs are and what the real costs are. All that being said, though, you don't want to be just putting money into a, a savings account that's earning a very low interest rate when there are very attractive plans out there, all different types. The most common one is what's called a 529 uh, college savings plan, which you can put money in and it can be a small amount you know, uh, on, to start out on a monthly basis, grows tax deferred, which means you pay no taxes on the growth, and it gets pulled out tax free for qualified uh, higher education expenses. And it's pretty liberal on how that works. Great avenue to get people started right away. Great avenue if, if parents and grandparents want to help out with college to set one of those up outside of your own household. They can plug money into those. And we see those all the time now starting to be cashed in uh, so that your kids can use the money for college. My son just entered his freshman year in college. Aww. And we're using our plan uh, to pay it. And it actually now is helps us with cash flow because we're no longer putting money into the plan on a monthly basis we're starting to take the money out but it didn't change our budget because we we actually got more money to spend by having him go to college which seems weird but we've already saved up the money we needed for him to go to school yeah my husband and i are still paying off our college loans we deferred them for a really really long time because we didn't think we could afford the payments um we were both journalism students, and um, I think my first job, I got paid $13,000 a year. And I was like, woohoo, I hit the jackpot. Um, <laughs> and so we just we just literally had no money for the first, you know, 10 years of our, of our marriage. And um, we started paying it off uh, about 10 years ago, and we're still, it just feels like, oh, we're just, we're paying for this. We've been working in our field and our industry for so long, like, why are we still have to pay for this? So it's, I just don't want that crippling debt and that to be hovering over her. So that's something my husband and I, we do have a 529 and it's something we contribute to. Um, I want to talk about money with kids in LA. Part of the, the problem that I have and part of the lure of living here in LA is that there's so many fabulous restaurants to go to. There's so many fabulous experiences that you want to do. And all of these fun things that come along with living in Southern California cost money. And if you're living on a budget, it seems like you can't, it, it feels very restricting. Um, how do we kind of get ourselves out of that mindset of, finances first and then fun? Or is there a way that we can have both? I, I think there's a way for both. Uh, and, and the way we look at it is first thing you got to do is take a snapshot of what you've been doing. And I always say, I don't care where you are right now. Maybe you are spending more than you uh, are currently bringing in. Maybe you're not, but let's find out where it's all going. And I, I can't tell you how many times when they come in for a meeting with myself or one of our advisors, um, they start to figure out, we don't know where our money's going on a monthly basis. We don't know where all of our, our cash is going. And um, when we start doing the planning, it starts to really get in under the hood of where things are. But once you establish, hey, we really enjoy it. My wife and I love going out to dinner, um, love a nice bottle of wine. So we really enjoy it. That's important to us. Um, and so we have a significant budget for that particular uh, part of our lifestyle. But 
A lot of other things that people enjoy doing, those aren't important to us. And what was more important to us with versus having the super expensive gym membership or, or some of those things was focusing in on maybe putting that money away for our kids for college. So we found things that really made it more a priority and we, we spent and we felt good about being able to spend and going out and doing those things. We felt it was liberating knowing that we could spend that because that's what was important to us. It does sometimes come down to making that list and really looking at that list, you and your husband looking at that list and saying, you know, these bottom three down here, how how important are these um, versus being able to put that money away for for kids for our kids to go to college so that we don't have them saddled with a ton of student loan debt? Now, it sounds like that you and your wife are on pretty much the same page and wavelength when it comes to your finances. Is And you've actually developed a, a compatibility quiz when it comes to finances. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, my wife and I are now, and, and we really were pretty early on in our relationship. The profession I was in, we were on the same page. Um, she, she was not against having a budget in our relationship. So it started out that way, and it's been that way. Um, where are you? Is there a pers- like a pursuit going on behind you? Is there a takedown? I'm in my office and there's <laughs> obviously uh, a fire truck or somebody going by. I, maybe, maybe I'm in New York City because it sounds like that all the time. It does. Yeah, you're yeah. right. It does. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Yeah, the, the quiz was developed and I created that because I realized in all the time in my now almost 30 years meeting with clients that I saw this this push and pull with couples and arguing about money and and initial meetings with us. And we really needed to diffuse that to get them on the same page. And what the quiz does, it's 34 questions. It's broken out into various categories. One's about planning. uh, One's about kind of uh, your risk tolerance as a couple. One's about lifestyle. uh, and, And it breaks all those down and it's 34 questions. And it asks you things from early on in a relationship all the way through, like what, what is it? What, what do you want your legacy to look like? And it takes your answers and it takes their answers and it marries them together and then gives you an overall compatibility score. And I always say, I don't really care what the score is. I just want you to take the quiz because that gives me the foundation to start having the discussion about how to get you on the same page. Because I can tell you, almost everybody is not on the same page. It's very hard to all be in the same spot. So you have to have something like that to get the conversation going. And what I have found with that quiz other is that when they take it in my office and now they take it electronically on their phones, um, they walk out of the elevator and into the car for their first um, time together outside of Ross and they go, hey, how did you answer that question on health care for your mom and dad if they needed support from us? Or how did you answer charitable giving? Or how did you rate me as a spender? How did you rate me as a saver? I mean, it, and it, it, it's, a, it's a fun way to get the conversation going. Okay, so I want to ask you one last question, and it is about um, something that my husband and I talk about a lot, and that is buying a home here in Southern California. Is it is it still a good investment to buy property, particularly in Southern California, or even like some of the major cities like New York and you know Dallas? Is it still a good investment, or should we look elsewhere to? to invest our money? Like, is that still the American dream that we should aspire to, to have? I think it's most people's American dream. I always say your primary residence, you shouldn't view it as an investment. You should view it as your roots and your home and where you want to live and where you want to raise your family. Cause in California, there's been pretty good price appreciation, certainly the last, uh, since 2008, but there are times when it drops a ton 
And people forget about those things. And I always say real estate is what I call a leveraged asset. So if you're going to put 20% down on a $800,000 house, so let's just say a million dollar house to keep it simple, you're going to put $200,000 down and then the market drops 20%, you've lost your entire $200,000 or 100% of your down payment if you had to sell during that time period. So I always look at it as more of that's where you want to live, that's where you want to raise your family. If you want to buy other pieces of property, income property um, beyond your primary residence, that's another part of your balance sheet. And I, we're proponents of that if it makes sense in your overall financial plan. Um, but real estate in, in Southern California right now is is pretty pricey. I always say, I look at affordability of homes and I think it's getting harder and harder for couples to be able to afford to buy a home here, uh, which means prices are probably gonna start to creep down and it's gonna they're gonna be on the market longer as well as interest rates going up, it's more expensive to get a loan. So all those things make it so it's not quite the investment that people uh, looked at it was maybe five to 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that's definitely shifted for us because we are renters and we, you know, we feel like we've kind of given up on owning a home out here, at least given up on that dream or that idea. And it just, um, just things shifted, you know, and our finances and our goals and everything have shifted. So here, here's something that's funny about renting, and I think it's going to happen more and more because you know what's happened in Southern California is that people are retiring, and the biggest asset that they have was the house they bought 20, 30, 40 years ago. They're selling the house, and they're moving to another community, usually outside of California, and they're renting in that mm -hmm. particular state because it's hassle-free. If you're retired, they can get a little single-story house. It's easy for them to get around, and then they have the excess cash to help offset their income from social security and what other pensions they have. Oh, Jeff, I could seriously pick your brain about everything. I wish you lived closer. I would make you um, go to lunch with me and then I would just try to get all the free advice I could get. <laughs> well, <try> Heather, <laughs> pick your brain. If you're, ever, if you're ever down in Southern California, down in the Huntington Beach area, <laughs> I'd, I'd be happy to go to lunch with you. I'm up in the Glendale, so you're not too far from me, but it depends on the time of day. It may take me like two or three hours to get to you. So. Yes, I, I know that traffic. <laughs> you know that traffic. Um, all right, everybody. So make sure you check out Jeff's book, The Couple's Guide to Financial Compatibility. Also, listen to his podcast. Uh, do you have more than one podcast or just the one? Just the one podcast. It's at jeffmotsky.com or obviously on iTunes if you just type in my name. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing all your financial wisdom with us. I already feel um, smarter. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for me. I'm going to put up information about Jeff, his shows, and a link to his compatibility quiz up on motherhoodinhollywood.com. That's going to do it for me. Have a wonderful week. And remember, I'm not a perfect mom, but I can play one on TV. Bye. Mama funny. Balls. <laughs>